here we are the uh the few faithful uh the hardcore yeah that made it through to the end uh we get the last fireside chat dave uh Let's make it, let's make it worth their while. All right. <laughs> Try not to delay everybody between alcohol and food, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> the last, yeah. last show. Uh, yeah. So congratulations. Um, so uh, Dave, you know, Port of Cleveland, <laughs> obviously the headlines for a lot of, you know, supply chains and everything like that has been around a lot of the maritime disruptions. Sure. Uh, the last few years of the pandemic, a lot has been made out of the port operations challenges and the labor issues. And I know the Port of Cleveland is not uh, terribly comparable to, you know, Long Beach and, and Los Angeles. One way to put it. Uh, but I, I would like to hear, you know, what, what is, what are some of the similarities and some of the, you know, some of the advantages that you may have over a port like that? I think over the last couple of years, because of COVID obviously, and some of the congestion issues that coastal ports have experienced, not only in the U S but around the world, it, it's really shined a light on what benefit inland ports can provide to folks who are using us as somewhat of a relief valve, I guess, as I would call it. So we don't have the congestion issues that coastal ports do. Typically, for example, with, when you're using our container service, um, the boxes are discharged right from the vessel and they can leave the port within one to two days. You're not, you're just not going to find that at coastal ports. Uh, we don't have situations where vessels are waiting at anchor to get in. Um, we have a very small container service, uh, that specifically when, when compared to, you know, the big coastal ports, we're not handling millions of containers a year. We're handling tens of thousands. We handled 10,000 containers last year. So I think, you know, we have grown a little bit in stature because of that over the last couple of years, because we can move goods in and out of our port quicker than traditional routings. Yeah. I mean, you, you gave me an interesting tidbit last week when we chatted about how, you actually could save time if you came through, you know, that, what was it? 17 locks. <laughs> so yeah. Over the, over New York, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. So there's a, there's a series of 15 locks that vessels have to go through to get to the great lakes from the Atlantic ocean. Um, door to door transit time, for example, from central and Northern Europe into the Midwest, we can do anywhere between 14 to 17 days. Uh, you're not going to do that through a coastal port. Now, if you're talking about Port-to-port -port transit times were actually longer, but we save time, as I indicated before, on the quickness of moving those goods, whether it be containerized or non-containerized, in and out of our operation versus the large ports. We don't have the rail congestion. We don't have the trucking congestion. Uh, we just move a little more quicker and more efficiently because of those lack of congestion issues compared to the large ports. Yeah, and, and you know, I think you mentioned also that there's been some infrastructural improvements uh, and you, you've, you've made some changes there that are going to allow you to kind of handle some of these, you know, it, you know, growth if you needed it, uh, over the next few years. Right. Yeah. So we, we, you know, like many ports around the country rely on federal and state grants for infrastructure projects. Uh, we started a, a project a couple of years ago where we modernized our main gate. We've automated that. So folks who are going on the tour, uh, here in about an hour, we'll, we'll see an example of that. Uh, you don't have any wait times when you move through our gate. And we're working on becoming paperless over the next two to three years. Uh, we want to reduce our truck wait times on the port. Uh, we want truck drivers and trucks and cargo in general to filter in and out of the port within 20 to 30 minutes. Um, that's a huge change from somewhere like LA Long Beach or New York, New Jersey or Norfolk, where the wait times are fairly significant. And technology for us, even though we're a smaller port, 
uh, is a big part of that. We're really a small port trying to act like a big port. <laughs> nice. Uh, so what, what kind of freight do you guys typically handle? You said you didn't have, uh, you know, obviously not the container volume uh, that some of the other ones had, but I, you had an interesting mix too with the type of freight and where it was coming from uh, throughout the United, or the world. We do. We, we handle a lot of non-containerized, high-grade imported steel from Northern and Central Europe. Uh, we do a lot of bulk commodities, cement. We've handled road salt in the past. Uh, we do a huge amount of iron ore for the local steel mill at our bulk terminal. Uh, we handle a fairly significant amount of project cargo. We just had some really large machines and generators move through the port two to three weeks ago. And a lot of that occurs because companies are trying to get that type of cargo as close as they can to final destination. So you're not dealing with various state department of transportation, um, routing issues and so forth. In addition to the container business, of course, as well. Do you have, do you, I mean, how is the domestic mix? Like, do you have most of your freight? Does it come from say Canada or does it come from, you know, just areas around the Great Lakes? Our, our iron ore comes from the Northern Great Lakes on the U.S. side. So that's what we call the Jones Act trade on, on American built and, and made vessels. Uh, we do a fairly significant amount of business between Northern and Central Europe and the Midwest. And we do a decent amount of business to and from Canada. That's mostly barge business that moves on self-articulating barges uh, that comes in and out of places like the Sioux up in uh, Northern, Northern Michigan and Canada and over near Hamilton and Toronto, Ontario. Yeah. So if you could, you know, say you had the biggest opportunity for growth in a single area, uh, whether that be coming from, say, Europe or, you know, Asia potentially or just anywhere, what type of freight would that be and where would it originate from? I would say the, the next big growth spot for the Great Lakes in general, and there are some hurdles for us to get through, is definitely the Asian market. Um, as I said before, we have a very small container trade. Um, the hindrance to us handling containers to and from Asia is because the vessel sizes going into the Great Lakes through the locks are too small to accept those large Panamax, ves Panamax vessels, obviously. So we have to set up transshipment type of, type of situations. Um, we do have one cargo coming in next month from Indonesia that is bulk liquid that we will start handling for the first time. Um, and that's going to a customer about 30 miles east of Cleveland via rail. So Asia really is the next big market that we're not participating in very much right now that we really need to hook into for further growth. Yeah. So have you, have you noticed any significant shifts? Any, uh, one of the big themes, of course, in supply chains and glo the global economics, which has been a big uh, you know, theme here at this conference, uh, have you seen any significant shifts in the patterns in the way that people are doing business with you guys or even just the type of stuff that you're getting? Yeah, certainly it would be, you know, bulk liquid is one example of that, you know, probably five to six years ago, nobody would have even contemplated us handling business directly from somewhere like Indonesia. So I, I think, you know, COVID and congestion issues in general have caused some folks to change their thinking. Certainly our container business has grown, although still fairly, you know, insignificant numbers on, on a global scale for us you know, handling 10 to 15,000 containers is a lot. We can handle upwards of 50,000 containers very easily at our port and we just need, you know, some additional partners to get there. So I think there has been some, some creativity in traditional routings and changes in that because of what's happened the last couple of years. Yeah. So what do you think, you know, some of the obstacles are going to be moving forward with things as people are changing the way that they do things. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, 
there's going to be shifts in demand over time and things like that. What do you think some of the biggest challenges as a port operation moving forward are? I mean, we talked about, you know, labor issues out West, which I don't think that you guys have the same type of environment, but right. at the same time, we're, we're seeing this shift in the way that logistics and people are moving goods uh, and the way they're distributing things through the different channels. What are some of the biggest challenges you see and not just in your port alone, but for the maritime space in general? I think, you know, using our port as an example, small, smaller ports need to do a better job of using advancements in technology. Typically, smaller inland ports like us are still very manual. Um, I would say we're probably at the forefront of trying to change that on the Great Lakes. Um, we're in the process of another very large infrastructure project, a $27 million project to uh, rehabilitate and modernize one of our warehouses. We've run trunk lines throughout the port, and we want to be paperless in the next two to three years. So as volumes grow, we have to be prepared to meet that need on the port through, you know, basically improvements in how we throughput cargo moving in and out of our spaces. Yeah, so you you talked to me, this is an interesting thing, you know, the lakes freeze at times uh, over the winter. How do, how, do, how do ships navigate that? How do you get around that? <laughs> well, in the, in the winter, the, so we are a seasonal system. The St. Lawrence Seaway shuts down for about two and a half months a year, starting right around the 1st of January through the middle of March. And that's not necessarily because of the weather and freezing issues. It's because the maintenance on the locks occurs during that time frame every year. Um, the U.S. government and the Canadian government uh, have done a better job in the la in the last couple of years of investing in more ice breaking te technology um, for ice ice breaking ships that the Coast Guard will utilize to break the ice before the closing of the season and at the opening of the season in March. Um, so some of our issues relating to what you're talking about are more infrastructure and political related issues, not necessarily the ability to handle more cargo related issues. It was, let's touch on the political issues a little bit here, like around the regulatory uh, things. Like, what are some of the what's what are some of the changes that you'd like to see happen? Regulate like that would assist with this the with you growing this process. Oh wow, that's <laughs> that, that, that's an easy one for me. Get rid of the seasonality. There, there's there's locks in other parts of the world that are open year round. The St. Lawrence Seaway system, in order for the system to grow and handle the the cargo that it once did back in the early seventies needs to solve the seasonality issue, plain and simple. And I go to various conferences in, in the U.S. and Canada around the seaway, and people roll their eyes when they hear me say that, but it's the absolute truth. Uh, until that issue is solved, um, the system will still be kind of a niche system and not grow to the capacity that it can if the seasonality system was either addressed or reduced to the point where cargo owners don't have to change their routings for two and a half months. So basically, if you know you have you can't get through the locks upstream uh, without because they just naturally close them. Is that does that involve like some inter international exchange as well? Yes. So the the fifteen locks that I mentioned before, thirteen of them are owned by the Canadian side of the system and two by the U.S. So for the most part, the Canadians really are controlling the opening and the closing of the system. Um, that needs to be solved either through a binational agreement on the Canadian parliamentary side and the U.S. congressional side or other ways. Yeah. Are there, are there other ports, uh, up, you know, in the Great Lakes that are also dealing with the same issues? Would it support like kind of a growth initiative for the entirety of the Great Lakes? Would it make the supply chain a little bit more efficient? I, I think every port in the system would support 
the seasonality issue being addressed. Uh, for example, Duluth, Minnesota, way up in the northwestern corner of the system, does a huge amount of grain outbound, uh, non-containerized going back to Europe. They'd be able to move that all year round rather than in a compressed time frame. Burns Harbor, Indiana, big steel business over there. There's, there's nobody on the system from a port standpoint who wouldn't support changes in the seasonality issue, no doubt. Yeah, for sure. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of impact. Of the, the automotive industry is huge around here. Mm -hmm. uh, is there, has there been any change or would that industry also benefit from some of these changes as well? I think that's natural. You know, there's a huge amount of automobile goods. We, we move some of it on our containers. They'd be able to move that year round rather than seasonally. Um, you know, a lot of the iron ore that we bring into the local steel mill is automo automobile related. So are some of the, the higher grade steel, uh, non-containerized steel products that we handle to and from Europe same same situation so anybody who's using the system now would benefit long term by a reduced closure or a, a, a reduction or elimination of the closure altogether yeah uh, so the automotive industry you know for me i'm i'm a i'm a freight nerd uh so i i, I do have an interest in in kind of trends of that nature have you seen any change like the automobile industry tended to have a kind of a lagging growth period after supply chain bottlenecks really started to become unglued. Did you see any anything on your end that would make you think that you had kind of this lagging push of automobile production activity? I didn't really see that. I saw more interest from the automobile companies to try to use our system than ever right. before during the last couple of years. Um, we have met with them a number of times, as have other ports around the system, trying to figure out how to get around this, the system closure and still use coastal ports during that time or try to force the system into a more uh, efficient way of managing the closure in general. So I think they would be 100% behind this, these issues as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity uh, sitting up here on the Great Lakes. I mean, it's always kind of like where you find, you know, nobody's looking and then you find these opportunities sitting out there in the cracks. So, uh, you know, I want to ask you one thing as we only have a few more seconds left. How do you think the Cleveland Browns are going to do this year? Oh, God. <laughs> Come out swinging, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure there are some people in here from Cleveland. So our, our port, which many of you will see on the tour, is right next to what we call the factory of sadness. Um, un unfortunately, you know, we all have high hopes. Deshaun Watson comes in and, you know, um, we hope that we're going to be in a Super Bowl someday. I'm, I'm a little more pragmatic. Um, I'm not really from Missouri, but I'm a show me guy. So you got to. You got to show me. I'm cautiously optimistic that we'll be above 500 this year. How's that? Look at that. That cautious <laughs> optimism. I mean, you're setting the bar kind of low above. 500. I know. I know. Sounds like a Cleveland Browns that's a, fan. That's a, that's a Clevelander talking. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you. Appreciate Thank you. it. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.